You're listening to the John Clark Cast, formerly the Private Practice Workshop Podcast. My name is John Clark. I'm a licensed therapist, group practice owner, and a guide for therapists in private practice. I help therapists fill the empty slots on their calendar and build a better business without all the overwhelm. I'm so glad that you are here today. Do me a quick favor and rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you are listening. All right, let's dive in. All right, Allison Pigeon is on the show with us today, and she's already been very patient with my tardiness <laughs> and my lack of having my mic set up, and no surprise to our listeners, I'm like, you know, uh, always a little bit late and sometimes a little disheveled, but now I'm ready. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm disheveled, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to breathe. I'm going to do what a therapist would tell me to do and yeah, get centered. Right. It'll be good. It's all good. Yeah, exactly. Um, well you and I just got to hang out recently and meet in person, which was awesome. We were, um, we were at slowdown school being the, the, the leaders of slowdown school with, with the one and only Joe Sanok. And that was pretty fun. Yes. That was an amazing time. I'm so glad that we got to meet in person. You did. I saw you did a Facebook live recently. Um, in one of the practice of practice groups about like what you learned or like habits of highly successful people. What did you, I, I didn't listen to it, but what did you share? In that? <laughs> you didn't watch my video, John. <laughs> I saw it and I was like, I want to watch that later. And then I didn't. So now I'm going to be lazy. And now you're going to ask me. It. Yeah. Yeah. So the things that I learned, obviously that group of folks were very high achieving private practice owners and also were in the process of launching other businesses and just, you know, super impressive group of people to be around. And, um, I was thinking about it after I had gone home about, you know, what, what, what are these commonalities that these folks have? And I, a big way was that, um, you know, they were very, uh, invested in making sure that they were continually like learning to be a better business person, whether it was, you know, reading books or it was being a part of, you know, Joe's mastermind group or whatever it was like, they were investing time and money into continually improving themselves as a business owner and to see what they've accomplished. I mean, I think obviously Mm -hmm. the return on investment is huge. Yeah. You notice the same thing. I did. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, it's always, it's an interesting, um, you know, thing to think about in terms of what makes for a successful um, outcome in a private practice. Given that there's so many moving parts, there's a lot of variables, and there tend to be some people that um, I don't know about make it look easy, but they clearly have, uh, you know, been kind of uninhibited in their growth. You know what I mean? And always like looking toward that next step or that next level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I noticed about that group of people was they weren't afraid to delegate. Like they realized, okay, this isn't my strength. I really need to hire this out. Or they just realized I can't do it all. I need to have other people supporting what I'm doing here. And I hear from so many consulting clients, how they're afraid to hire a VA or they're, you know, how could I possibly hire somebody to do X, Y, Z? And I think that they're just really holding themselves back because you're never going to grow if you're the one who's always doing everything. 
Totally. What, what would you say to those therapists that are um, struggling to let go of that control or um, know they need to hire someone to help but are having a hard time doing it? I think if they hire the right person who is a good fit, it will be an absolute game changer for them and it will make their life a hundred times easier. And what I hear from so many consulting clients is they say, I wish I would have done this sooner. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's, and it's always scarier in our minds than it is in reality, right? Or there's this feeling of like, um, no one can do things as well as I can. For many therapists, the first thing to delegate is giving up the phones, right? Or having someone answer your phone. And it's like, well, clients, you know, or a VA won't be able to sell me like I can sell me. And the reality is that that ends up just being plain wrong most of the time. Right. And actually what I hear from therapists too, is that when they start to get really busy and they don't want to take in any more clients and they're still answering the phone, they end up taking more clients than they want to because they have a hard time saying no. Sure. And my, and my answer to them is hire a VA and it'll yeah. be very easy for them to say no. <laughs> that and, cha- and, and upping your fee. I found that, you know, years ago when I had hired my first VA, um, getting over the fear of raising one's fee became a lot easier when I could just like text my VA and be like, oh, I'm full again, by the way my fee just went up $50 or whatever. And then she would sell that. She would go, okay, cool. No problem. And then she would sell that fee and um, things would keep moving. So it really helps to have that layer between you and, um, you know, the, the general public. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, and also being able to know how to supervise, you know, your VA as well, I think is a part of it and knowing what you want out of a VA. I think a lot of people go into it and they have no idea kind of what to expect or how to train someone to answer the phones if it's like a, a VA that doesn't work for a VA company for therapists. So I think for a lot of folks, it's their first time being a supervisor or being a manager. And that's a whole process in itself, you know, of, right. of a, kind of learning those skills on the fly. Right. Yeah. And if that seems overwhelming, I mean, you can always go to a VA company and hire somebody who, you know, needs minimal training. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, this will be backtracking a tad, but fill people in on kind of who you are and how you got here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So I, um, worked in community mental health and in 2015 just got super burned out and started a private practice just cause I wasn't really sure what else to do. And, um, took kind of a crash course that was self-taught in the business of private practice, um, and started hiring people, formed a group practice that's called move forward counseling. Um, I'm located in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and, uh, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And now, um, we have four offices. I have six therapists. I'm hiring my seventh. I have two assistants, um, and I just bought a building. So we're going to be moving in there as soon as it's renovated, awesome. which is super exciting. And I'll be hiring like five more people to fill that space. So eventually Amazing. we'll be 12 therapists. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit on a hike in Northern Michigan at Slowdown School. And I would actually love for you to, if you would kind of share a little bit about that process of purchasing the building and also how you did it. Cause I think it was a way that I had never really heard of or thought of. And I, I see a lot of therapists thinking about or contemplating, um, uh, you know, making a purchase of a building, but, um, uh, and a lot of therapists just counting it out and going, there's no way that's possible. Um, but you, you went about it kind of a unique way. 
Yeah. So when I started doing research on commercial um, investments, I figured out that there's lots of different ways to finance a property. And so it's very different from like buying a house that's your own personal residence. Um, and so one of the ways that you can purchase a commercial property is by using um, what's called a hard money loan, which is what I ended up doing. So the bank financed like 85% of the property. They also gave me the money to do the renovations. And then I got the other 15% down from um, a friend of mine who's an investor. Um, and so after the building is renovated, we're going to get it reappraised, hopefully get the money back out of it to pay off the hard money loan. And then I'll just have the mortgage from the bank. So essentially there'll be none of my own money into this project. Kind of amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you hacked the system. Yeah. <laughs> But it's actually very common. Yeah. It's called the Burr strategy in, in real estate investing. Okay. And so people do it too with like flipping houses and stuff. It's ba it's basically the same thing you do when you flip a house. What was the feeling like when you when the deal went through? Uh, it was terrified and excited at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just had settlement a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm a big, congrats. thank you. I'm a big proponent of, you know, doing things, even though it feels scary. Totally. Yep. Totally. Well, um, and, and I know that you, so you started working with, with Joe a few years ago, you guys met at uh, an event, right? And then. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I guess that was the part of my story I didn't share. So really? yeah. 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 So Joe had an event in Michigan called Pinot and practice that I went to and, um, it was kind of funny cause there was like maybe a group of 12 of us and just hearing everybody kind of talk about their practices and their struggles. And I realized that I was kind of pretty far ahead of everybody else. And that, um, you know, when Joe was answering people's questions, I was sort of formulating the answer that I would have given and they were, they were similar. And then I was like, Oh, maybe I could be a business consultant. And I just asked, Joe, I was like, did you ever think about, you know, bringing other people on your team? And he was like, yeah, I've actually been thinking about it. So we talked about it more and then he, he brought me on and he trained me. And so I've been working for him for two years now. It's awesome. Yeah. It never hurts to ask, huh? <laughs> no. And that's my other thing. Like I'm always amazed at, you know, how many people have said yes when I've asked for various things. Um, you know, that's how I found my first office. I like went mm -hmm. to my own doctor and I was like, Hey, do you have space to rent out? And you know, he hadn't been advertising it, but he said, yes, just because I asked. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's a big lesson for entrepreneurs is, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. Totally. I, um, the way, I don't think I've told this story before, but the way that I actually started my first practice in San Francisco, um, and this was before I was licensed, is I got out there and I just was Googling therapists and trying to meet as many as possible and meet therapists that looked like they had a great, successful practice. And I um, uh, I met with a guy who's a CBT specialist and we were getting along really well. We had lunch or whatever. And I basically just said, I looked at some things that he wasn't doing like online, like setting up a Facebook business page and setting up a Google, my business listing. And I basically just said, Hey, can I do these things for you? Cause I see them missing and I know how to, I think I know how to do them. Um, and I'd love to help you out. And I did that without asking anything for anything in return. And then, you know, 
a couple, a few months after that, basically he had, he had brought me in to, um, help me set up my practice and get going. And, um, just doing that, just asking like, Hey, can I do this thing for you? Um, was like, Oh sure. No one's ever offered to, <laughs> you know, do that for me. And that's what's, that's what led to, you know, a lot of, a lot of doors opening from there. So yeah, never hurts to ask. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, you, you, you started consulting with Joe, you've consulted, a lot of therapists at this point, we were just there in slow down school consulting in person, which is such a neat experience. And I've talked about, about that a bit on the show since we've been back. Um, but yeah, I just want to open up to you again. What, what have you learned from consulting therapists and what do you want to share with us today? Yeah, I think what I've realized over the past couple of years is there's certain themes that come up, you know, as therapists, we're taught to look for patterns. And so I start to see patterns with my consulting clients. And I just thought it would be helpful to, you know, share some of what I've noticed um, with the people that reach out to us for consulting. So the first thing that I notice is that with almost every consulting client, we end up talking about money mindset issues. And we talk about um, their pricing. And typically what I see is therapists are underpricing themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, so whether they're self-pay or they take insurance, um, they're not really optimizing the fees that they're collecting. And so we spend a lot of time talking about how to, how to maximize that for them. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that this trend exists in our industry? (laughs) I think, yeah, I think there's probably many facets to why. I mean, I know going to graduate school and like coming up in, you know, a community nonprofit world, you know, you just sort of got the impression like you're just going to be poor because you chose to be a therapist (laughs) and like, that's just how it is. You're never going to make any money. And so I think, you know, we're just conditioned to believe that. And we go out into private practice and we think, well, like no one would pay $150 an hour to see me. Like that's Mm -hmm. ridiculous, but like people will, but if you don't set the price there, you're never going to know. Yeah. I remember distinctly one of, it was probably the second or third week of of my graduate program. And it was in this like intro to clinical mental health course that was supposed to be teaching you about the real world and ethics and whatnot. And, um, they brought in a panel of recent graduates and I've never seen a more beat down looking group of individuals. (laughs) I, it, it was almost like they went out specifically to find people, you know, recent counselors who were making terrible, you know, who are not making any money, who are struggling Uh along. They were exhausted. They're working like the graveyard shift at the jail and like had recently been assaulted. And they're like, let's get seven of those people to come in and talk to these, you know, young, like, uh, you know, hopeful counseling students. And I remember sitting there and, and the message was essentially across the board. Um, you know, you can't help people and make money. You're never, you know, if you're, if you're in it for that, or if you think you're going to help people and make even decent money, whatever that means or whatever that meant at the time, you're in the wrong place and you should really think about quitting this program. And that struck me and was like, we walked out of that, that of class that day feeling defeated and feeling like maybe we really are in the wrong place at all. I mean, it doesn't even sound like a, 
um, that they were already kind of disconnected from why they're doing what they're doing. And, um, it was just such a statement. And so actually I even referenced that story in one of my, um, my emails that goes out to new email subscribers and how that very day and that moment is a lot of what still drives me today of like therapists being told you can't help people and, and make money or make a decent living. Cause I think that that myth still is very much alive today, even in therapists who've been in the field a long time and shame other therapists for raising their fees or for um, being entrepreneurial or whatever it is. So I think we have to keep bringing it up into bringing it into the conversation, you know, and, and kind of pushing, pushing the industry forward. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think too, with the folks that accept insurance, they just sort of take at face value, like, oh, this is what the insurance company is going to pay me. And they don't ever think to go to the insurance company to ask for a raise. And also they don't realize that in order to give themselves a raise, they may need to drop the lower paying insurance panels. Totally. Yeah. I I see a lot of therapists, um, either getting on a low paying panel out of fear or out of, you know, scarcity or of like, I'm just afraid I won't have any clients. So I'm willing to take a a fee that is in reality way, way, way too low for me and my practice and my overhead. Right. Right. Yep. I see that all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And it's again, being like stepping up and, and asking for something or asking for a raise from panels. I know works quite well a lot of the time. And also the, even a, a, a small, a small increase can be meaningful when you look at the fact that most clients come to therapy every single week, or if you have a group practice, a $10 difference across 60 sessions a week or whatever is, can be a tremendous, you know, can have tremendous impact on the business overall and then on the big picture. Right. Right. It's huge. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What else have you learned about, about us? <laughs> um, yeah. So one of the things that kind of happened, um, at the same time, like, like a few clients were kind of telling me the same thing was that they were afraid to make a business decision or speak assertively with someone. Let's say it was a vendor or an employee or something because they were worried it might hurt their feelings. Mm -hmm. And so we have had conversations about, you know, at the end of the day, it's about your business and what's best for your business. And, we all have to have hard conversations because that's how we're going to make progress and, and have the best business that we can. Um, and kind of talking through like, you know, pushing past that fear of hurting that person's feelings to do, to do what's best. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it, right? Is we play things up in our minds that this is going to go so horribly, or I might offend someone. And because we've played out that fear in our minds, we end up not doing it. Yeah. And, and really I would say 99% of the time when we talk about it and the consulting client goes to that person and has that hard conversation, it goes well. Mm-hmm. And then they feel relieved and they're like, Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to worry about this anymore. So, you know, that horrible thing they're making up in their head rarely happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, things are, are rarely as bad as we imagine they are going to be, especially um, in retrospect when we look back on them. And, and I feel, I do feel like uh, part of how you get better at being assertive is you practice being assertive, even if it's in small ways of like, I don't know if you struggle with, if your food is really bad or they, they send out the wrong order at a restaurant, like sending it back and being like, Hey, I actually asked for broccoli. Um, I feel like little things like that can add up and they do play out in your business, um, for sure. 
Yeah. And I think most of the time, if you're making a reasonable request, like people respond well to that, you know, mm-hmm. as long as you're not asking for something crazy, mm-hmm. you know, I think usually these things can get worked out. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. What else? Um, so this is a little bit of a cautionary tale. <laughs> So unfortunately, um, some of the consulting clients that call us call us because they've gotten themselves into trouble. Um, usually it's financially. And what I've learned about that kind of population of folks is that they didn't put in good systems and processes or they hired the wrong people and it ended up causing lots and lots of problems on the back end. Totally. Yes. So that's my, um, I guess my advice is, you know, make sure you have those systems and processes in place, you know, hire the professional to do the accounting for you or whatever it is you need to do, hire the professional biller if that's what you want to do. But I think, um, you know, a lot of times clients will be like, oh, but that, you know, is expensive. I don't know if I really want to spend that money, but if you could see the problems that are caused as a result of not putting these things in place, you would be happy to spend that money totally. to, to make sure you're not, you know, make sure you're not owing the IRS tens and thousands of dollars. I think that's the other part about working with uh, a coach or consultant is that if you can get help and get, get a set of eyes on your business to help you identify what are the current pain points and the current um, threats to your business right now. Ideally you do it before you scale or before you go from a solo practice to having 10 clinicians or whatever in five locations, then you're going to save yourself a lot of headache down the road. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's like preventative care versus uh, emergency care, you know, and, right. and therapists come and they go, I've, I'm $20,000 in debt and I can't get my clinicians full and nothing's working and my website broke. And yeah, I mean, certainly they need consulting, they need help, but also you're starting from a tremendous deficit and you're starting from a place of anxiety and that anxiety permeates every part of your business. Yeah. And I see too, people just obviously extremely stressed out. And then it's almost like they don't even have the mental space to do what it takes to fix it at that point. Um, so do you see the same thing? I do. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll spend tens of thousands of dollars on graduate school and a lot of maybe 30% of the courses we end up taking, like my clinical mental health course, you know, we pay a few thousand dollars for those courses, but then we get out of school and we won't spend another dollar on getting help or on, um, becoming a better business owner. And I, I think that's another hang up that therapists have to get over, um, you know what I mean? I think starting a private practice or just going through different phases of, of private practice is really just the beginning. It's like you have to be new at this all over again. You have to be new at things all over again. Or even if you're diving into a new part of your practice, like learning social media, you have to be okay with being new at things. And I think a lot of times therapists get flustered and they go, I just want to, I just want to have it all figured out. I just, you know, I just want to feel in control. And I think that's an illusion. Yeah. And I think too, you're exactly right. Like they're starting from scratch, learning the business side of it. And they may think, well, like I have a master's degree, I should be able to figure this out, (laughs) but you don't have a master's degree in business. So yeah, you're going to need some help. Yeah. Yeah. What else have you learned along the way? Um, so one thing that I was talking actually this morning with a consulting client about is that, 
Um, people tend to get distracted by new ideas when they're in what I call the crappy middle. And so what I mean by that is at the beginning, it seems super fun, right? To like launch this practice and learn all these new things. And when you're at the other end, like when you finally get it to the point where you want it and you look back on what you accomplished and it feels great, then it's, then it's good, you know, but the middle part can be really crappy for a lot of people, <laughs> like going through all the growing pains and just making mistakes and, and all that kind of stuff. And what I see happen is people get distracted by new ideas. All of a sudden they want to launch this new business. They want to start this podcast mm -hmm. and it's almost like a distraction from what they really should be doing, which is building up the practice. It's all the non-sexy things that we have to do. Yes. Uh, I mean, you're literally speaking to a session I just had this morning with a consulting client who um, wanted to work on things like creating a coaching business and doing online therapy and creating her first course. And all of the things, um, she needed a new EHR, she needed to fire her billing company, she needed a new phone system that just wasn't working. And we have to loop back around and address all that stuff. Of course we want to, you know, do something that's a bit more fun or that maybe we feel like has a promise of making me all this extra money or whatever it is. But, um, but you're right. I mean, we have to, we have to do the, the foundational stuff and get it right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what I see is that people don't even realize that's what they're doing. And so, you know, maybe if you're in the middle of growing your business and you think like, Oh, I should go off and do this other thing. You really should stop and ask yourself, am I doing this just because growing this practice and being in the middle feels really tough and I don't, you know, I want to escape from it for a while, or is it really a good idea, you know, from a business, um, the business side of things. Totally. Yeah. That's a great one. That's awesome. What else you got? Um, so something else that I noticed is that um, therapists um, have all the resources that they need to do something. Like maybe it's start a group practice or whatever it is. And the only thing that's really holding them back is fear. Mm -hmm. And um, I had uh, a mastermind group um, running this past spring and it was to start a group practice. And a lot of the participants in there did an amazing job, got way further ahead than I thought with hiring clinicians. Some of them had multiple clinicians by the time we were done in the six months and, and one person didn't. And it sort of, it came out sort of at the last session that like, she was just afraid to put up that job posting. Yep. And it wasn't that she didn't have the knowledge or the resources because we were helping her every step of the way. She was just afraid. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind is that, yeah, this stuff is scary because you may have never done it before. Um, but what I do to work through that is just think about like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? Mm -hmm. So like when I started my practice and I quit my, you know, salary director job, I thought, what's the worst thing that can happen? This business fails and I just go back and get another job. Like I have marketable skills. Somebody, sure. somebody will hire yeah, me. Right. Scenario. Yep. Yeah. So, so that gave me the confidence to really jump in and, and make to, you know, build the business into what I wanted it to be because I knew I sort of had that like safety net. And so even though it was scary and I was afraid at points, I did it anyway. And so yeah. I think that's a really important thing to remember is that like so many 
parts along the journey of building your practice are going to feel scary, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Totally. You should just do it anyway. There is a friend of mine in graduate school who was reading this self-help book that had really changed his life. I never read it, but I remember the title and I say that I use the title sometimes. It sounds cheesy, but it's true. It, the title was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And the whole book was, yeah, it was just like a self-help book on dealing with fear and feeling it, but doing the thing anyway. Otherwise we get inhibited by that fear. We stay stuck and it kind of validates the fear. Um, so I, I think that's great. It's moving forward. Um, even with the feelings of fear. Right. And I think that's the thing a lot of people don't realize is they feel the fear and they think like, Oh, that's my brain's way of telling me this is a bad idea. I shouldn't do it. it. That's my intuition telling me to avoid this. And it's, yeah, it all depends on how you look at feelings, right? It's like, yeah, sometimes feelings can be indicators of truth or you can have a gut feeling about walking down a dark alley that, you know, and, and having that gut feeling that this is a bad idea might be true or might help, help you. But, um, but you know, uh, fear quickly becomes anxiety or unwarranted anxiety and, you know, images in our mind that, that it likely will never happen. So it's powerful. And then you just get paralyzed by it. Yep. You stay stuck. Right. Totally. We got time for maybe one more if you have another one. Good. I have exactly one more. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested to hear what you think about this because this might actually be um, counterintuitive to what you teach people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do it. So in terms of marketing, I have consulting clients that contact me who have, for example, done a lot in one sort of sphere of marketing, right? Like they've done tons of stuff with digital marketing they have an awesome website. They, you know, are all over the SEO and and the Facebook page and all of that kind of stuff, but they haven't done any other types of marketing, like in-person networking or anything like that. And then they're not, you know, they're sort of clueless as to why aren't, you know, clients kind of beating down my door. And so we talk about like, okay, well, that's all great. And now that you have that set up, wonderful, like let that work for you. And then the other thing you need to do is look at what in-person networking can you do? Can you give talks in the community? You know, those kinds of things. So I guess that's my advice to people is don't just do like one sort of facet of marketing. You have to, especially in the beginning, until you figure out what works, you have to try a bunch of different things to figure out what is actually going to bring clients to your door. Totally. I don't disagree with that. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, people know me for leaning heavily on the digital side and having built my group practice here entirely um, with Google and really nothing else. But I think what's important from with my philosophy is that there's a hundred ways to build a practice. There's a hundred ways to market a practice. Um, You need to know what's working. You need to know what you're good at you know, what's worth doing yourself versus hiring for and ultimately be able to measure it. You know, I have a client who, uh, a coaching client who's built a lot of her practice on Instagram. That's not the first place I would go, you know, to build my practice or to suggest building a practice. But my agreement with her was, okay, if that's, if it's working for you or how many clients have you been able to generate? How many hours a week are you putting into it? And how many clients have you generated from it? Um, you know, if you can show me that it's working great. Cause I think ultimately a big part of your success in private practice is your ability to make decisions on your own and to move forward and to be able to measure 
what's working and to be able to let go of stuff that's not working, you know? So if you, if Instagram wasn't working for this person to be able to at some point go, okay, I don't think this is working. Let me shift gears to something else or run some workshops or whatever it might be. So, um, but yeah, I talk a lot about, um, knowing the difference between lead generation and brand recognition. So like doing things in your marketing that are getting in front of people looking for therapy right now, looking for a therapist right now versus things that are just getting you and your brand out into the minds of people, into their awareness. And so I think that's another way to kind of split it up, whether it's in person or digital is to at least know the difference or know, um, why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And I think you brought up a really good point too, about collecting the data, because I think a lot of people don't do that. And then they may just, you know, do something on autopilot and then they never sort of loop back around to see like, Oh, is this still making sense that I'm paying X number of dollars per month to do this type of marketing? Totally. That's huge. Well, Allison, these are great. Six tips on basically the habits of highly successful therapists and things you've learned through, through helping therapists. Um, how can people find out more about you and how can they get in touch? I know you have uh, a group coming up that you want to promote. So I'd love for people to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm really excited. Um, so this is the third time I've run this starter group practice mastermind. So it's specifically for people who are just on the precipice of wanting to start their own group practice. They have, you know, a a pretty established successful solo practice and now they want to take it to the next level. And so, um, it's a mastermind group with teaching and hot seats and, uh, Facebook group and all kinds of other things, um, thrown in there that, hopefully are going to be helpful for people. I've written a workbook that goes along with that. So if that's something that people are interested in, you can email me at, um, Allison with one L. So A L I S O N at practice of the practice.com. And it's starting September 18th. So, um, if that's something you want to do and, you know, this last quarter of 2018, I would definitely jump on that because I'm not sure yet if I'm, if or when I'm going to run it in 2019. So Cool. Love it. There you have it folks. Um, and we'll put Allison's email in the show notes as well. Um, so you have that link, but, um, yeah, there you have it. Allison pigeon from practice of the practice. Thanks again for being here, Allison. And, um, I will, I will see you around. Thank you, John. Take care. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the John Clark cast. I'm your host, John Clark, licensed therapist, brand builder, marketing consultant, and guide for therapists. I hope therapists build a better business without all the overwhelm. Do us a big favor and rate, review, and subscribe to our show on iTunes. Hope you have a great week. See you next time.